Hey, thanks for checking out this week's message. We hope you're blessed by the Word of God. For more information on River of Life, you can check out our website, rolmt.com, or download our app. Just search R-O-L-M-T in your app store. Thanks. Hey, what's up, church? How are we doing today? All right. Uh, hey, wasn't Serve, Mon- Serve Montana. I almost messed it up, and then I didn't mess it up. Ah. Wasn't Serve Montana great today? It was awesome. I had such an awesome time serving with my family. And uh, if you didn't come out this year, uh, you missed out. Um, But it's okay. We want you to have FOMO. We want it to be there um, because guess what? We're going to do it next year. And it's going to be bigger and better. And you're going to have an opportunity. And trust me when I say you're not going to want to miss it. It was just such an awesome time starting in worship uh, and then just seeing uh, uh, serving our community in so many different places. There was more. uh, We were serving in different areas. I had no idea. I couldn't keep up. It was crazy. So anyway, uh, big props to Pastor Angie and the team uh, uh, from City Altar that planned this. It was really just, um, they did an awesome job. And big, big props. It was awesome. Uh, You may notice uh, that I'm not bald. Uh, I'm not that guy. Uh, Pastor Jason received a new title this week. Uh, He became Grandpa. Yeah, big props. So uh, we'll miss Gramps today, but (laughs) I'm solely getting fired this week, but... uh, no, uh, we love them, we're, and, and uh, uh, we're just so excited for them that they get to add that new addition to their family. And so uh, I'm going to preach today so that uh, they can spend more time with their new bundle of joy. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Uh, I know it didn't feel like it today, but spring has sprung, <laughs> right? Uh, it was kind of nice this week having some weather that, you know, didn't feel like a frozen tundra. Just having that warm weather was great, and, uh, and I was just like, man, we finally made it. After just ages and ages of winter, we find, people, when I moved to Montana, people were like, you know, winter's really long, and I had really light winter the first, like, two or years I was here, and this year I was like, man, you weren't kidding. It's a long time. I was pretty happy, <laughs> yeah, I was pretty happy to see spring, and, uh, and springtime means that it's baseball season. Any baseball fans in here? Uh, If you are a baseball fan, Montana doesn't have a team, so who do you root for? Oh, brutal. I know we have some Mariner fans in here, and I can associate with you guys because um, your team was a loser like my team for a really long time. Uh, I grew up in Chicago, which means I'm a Cubs fan, which means I don't like the Cardinals, so just get out of here. Uh, I, I grew up a Cubs fan. I've been a Cubs fan since I was a kid. And uh, no one else in my family likes baseball. We were a hockey family. I grew up playing ice hockey. No one in my family liked baseball. But sometime in the fourth grade, I, I remember having to do a project. And in the project, I can't, I can't remember what it was. I think, I think I had to do a project on a, on a like, Latino uh, popular figure. I think that's crazy. I was in Chicago. We have a lot of that. So... Um, and I chose Sammy Sosa, uh, who was awesome. And I, was, and I just became obsessed with the Cubs. I loved uh, the Cubs. I was drawn to Cubby Blue, and, uh, and I loved it. And for most of my life, we were terrible. Uh, we, were, we were known uh, as the Lovable Losers, was our nickname. And that all changed in 2016. 
where after 108 years of not winning anything, that is not a made-up number. That's literally the drought that we were in. 108 years of losing, we won the World Series. Yes, thank you, thank you. We won the World Series. It was awesome, it was amazing. I maybe shed a tear, I'm not gonna admit to it, but uh, it was pretty awesome. Our team, yeah, my wife, my wife will gladly say that I cried like a baby. Um, it was awesome, and, uh, and our team was just dominant. It was awesome, we, and we were led by this awesome pitcher whose name was John Lester. John Lester, you may know who he is, he's a pretty popular baseball player at the time. Uh, he won a couple World Series in Boston, and then he came over to, uh, to join the Cubs right as we were coming out of a rebuild and our team was starting to win. And he like marked when we started to be good. When John Lester signed with our team, he was big, he was a lefty, he had strong command of his fastball, uh, uh, he had a great breaking ball, and he was just like, he was that guy on the mound. It was, it was really, really cool to, uh, to see, and he just led the team in, in a way that no pitcher on our squad had ever done before, and he led it all the way to a World Series. But as good as he was, and he was one of the best pitchers in all of baseball, like, Definitely on our team, but in all of baseball, he was a great pitcher. He had one flaw. He couldn't throw the ball to first base. I'm not joking. John Lester couldn't throw the ball to first base. He could throw the ball 90 plus miles an hour with pinpoint accuracy. And he could pick off parts of the strike zone. He could throw a breaking ball exactly where it needed to be, right over the plate in order to get a guy to chase the ball. He was an amazing pitcher, but he literally couldn't lob the ball to first base. I, I, it wasn't like he, he always was like that. It was just when he got to the Cubs, he got what people in baseball refer to as the yips. He's not the first person to ever get it. But basically, when you get the yips, it's like you suddenly lose all the confidence that you ever built up in your entire life in order to do something really simple. And you can do something complicated, like hit a 100-mile-an-hour fa fastball or, 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 or pitch a ball right down the strike zone, but you can't do something as simple as throw the ball to first. And it was crazy. I mean, at first, it was kind of funny because you, you'd be watching a game and be like, what is happening right now? Like... He just struck that guy out, and, and now he like is the, the person on first is taking a 20-foot lead off of first base, which, uh, if you don't know baseball, that's pretty huge. They would be like almost halfway down the, 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 the base path at some points, and he would be frozen in fear, be just totally afraid of throwing the ball to first. It was one of the craziest things I've ever seen, is, and as teams started to recognize that, like, oh, he can't do this. They would take those huge leadoffs. They would steal that ground in between first base and second base. And, and eventually they started to steal the bases and, 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 and a guy would go from first to third and he wouldn't even toss the ball. And it went from funny to being like, oh man, this is a thing that our team's actually having to deal with. They came up with like crazy plays where he would throw to first or throw it to the catcher, pitch it to the catcher, and then the catcher would throw to first and pick a guy off. It was It was nuts. He had been throwing this, the ball to first base, I'm sure, since he was in T-ball. But now he has like this crisis of confidence. And suddenly, 
like when he should have had all the confidence in the world to be able to throw runners out, he th basically threw away his confidence and was frozen in fear. Why am I telling you about this? You do not care. <laughs> well, I think that there's times where we as Christians get the yips. I think there's times where as Christians, we are faced with trials and struggles and obstacles. And scripture tells us that we have everything that we need to have the confidence to, to overcome them. There's a hardship, there's a struggle, there's suffering, something that, that we can get through. And scripture's like, you've been given everything you need. You should have all the confidence in the world. But instead of having that confidence and facing the thing face on, head on, what we do is we cower back and we get frozen in fear and we throw away our confidence. And the enemy starts to take ground that doesn't belong to him. He starts to creep into our life and starts to, 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 to take that ground that doesn't belong to him. And sooner or later, he will start to reach into our life and start to steal victories from us that he should have never had access to. We get the yips. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about this confidence that we're supposed to have. And so in order to understand that, we're going to read a couple of passages in Hebrews 10. We're going to start at Hebrews 10, verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. We're going to skip past this next section of 26 to 31, and we're going to jump back in at 32. Remember those early days after you had received the light, when you endured in great conflict full of suffering, Sometimes you were exposed to insult and persecution, and then other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you I thank you for the confidence that we have, Lord. I thank you that, that um, you are trying to, to build us up in order to face the obstacles um, that are in our way, Lord. And we just declare today, Lord, that we trust you. We open our heart and our mind uh, to, to be able to hear the word that you want to speak today. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, say with me, don't throw away your confidence. Oh, come on, a little bit better than that. Don't throw away your confidence. One more time. Don't throw away your confidence. Thank you. Thank you.
Scripture tells us that we have this confidence. And I want to get into, into the purpose for this confidence, how we're supposed to, to use it in our life. But before we can really understand that, we have to get a good grasp of where this confidence comes from. If you don't know why you should be confident, you'll never be confident. Let's put it that way. And so I want to dig into this a little bit, and I have a couple ways, a couple reasons for our confidence. And uh, if you're writing them down, um, I don't have them that are going to come up on here, um, but I'll tell you, like, hey, write this one down. Here's the first one. Reasons for our confidence. The first one is our covenant with God. Our covenant with God. A covenant is a relationship that's based on two promises. It's uh, uh, God, God says, I will be your God. We say, we will be your people. God says, I will watch over you. I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. I'll be that God. And we say, we're going to live in obedience to you. We, both sides make promises. And in that, a covenant is born. A marriage is a covenant. Two people stand and they make vows before each other. They each make promises. And what happens when that, the, the, that covenant is broken, when those promises are broken, that covenant is severely fractured. Because a covenant is a, con, is a conditional relationship. I'm going to lose a couple people here for a second, but I'll grab you back, so just stay with me. A covenant is a conditional relationship. God's love for you is unconditional. There's nothing you could ever do that's going to make God stop loving you. He loves you because you are his creation. However, a relationship with God, a covenant with God, is conditional. It's based on two promises. And if one end of the promise can't be upheld, then the covenant is broken. Now, throughout history, we see that God is able to uphold his end of the deal. As we read through the Old Testament, we see time after time, God come through in the way that he says he's going to come through. That when he makes a, co a covenant, when he makes a promise, he's faithful to fulfill it. But we also see that we cannot. That mankind cannot uphold their end of the deal. They can't meet the condition of their covenant. And that means that if we can't meet that condition, that we can't have a relationship with God. There's nothing that we can do. We're always going to screw it up. By our own works and our own merit, we can't keep that covenant. You're like, hey, this is a great sermon. Way to keep going. <laughs> Based on our own works, we cannot stand rightly before God. We cannot keep that covenant. So why am I saying this? Because Jesus steps into the story. Jesus steps in and he makes a way for us to have that covenantal relationship. Because what does he do? He meets the condition on our behalf. In Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, it says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, meaning Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. And here's the kicker. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever 
those who are being made holy. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And, and uh, in theological terms, we call this the already, not yet. Because it's something that scripture is saying has happened, but also it's still happening or it's going to happen. And that's really confusing. I get it. But it has incredible implications for us. Because ultimately what this verse is saying here in Hebrews 10, 14, is that our place in the kingdom of God, our place as a son and daughter of God, our place in the family of God is eternally secure even while we are still a work in progress. We have no right standing in the kingdom of God unless we're standing on Christ the solid rock. that, That old hymn, on Christ the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. If we try and stand in the presence of God, if we try and uphold the covenant that we have with God, on our own merit, it's sinking sand. We can't, we can't do it. But when we stand on Christ the solid rock, on our firm foundation, then Christ meets that condition for us by, through his sacrifice. And we can live in a relationship with God. And here's why this is important to our confidence. Because when we stand on Christ, our covenant with God is not only made secure, but it's made eternal. And the enemy will try and step into your life and he'll try and get in your head and he'll try and make you feel insecure about your identity as a child of God. He will call into question your relationship with God. He will call into question whether or not you deserve to be in a covenant with God. He'll remind you of all of your mistakes, both past and present. He's there to to be the accuser of us. He'll call out your flaws. He'll use your doubts. He'll use your circumstances and he'll use them all against you. And his whole entire purpose is to make you think that you don't belong to God in the way that the Bible tells you you belong to God. He'll tell you that, 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 uh, just be, that you're in a, a tough circumstance and you feel alone and you say, yeah, that's because God left you. He doesn't really love you. Have you ever been in that place where you're like, God, I don't know why I'm, this, why, why I'm going through this and the enemy is just sitting on your shoulder. It feels like that devil just sitting on your shoulder saying, it's because he doesn't really love you. No, just me. He'll, 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 he'll tell you that uh, because of your past, that, that it's, it's unforgivable and you can never be redeemed, that you're full, you're, you will forever walk in shame. He'll try and hold that over you. And if you are not confident in, in the covenant that you have with God, then you'll believe him. If you are not confident in how you stand with God, if you're not confident that you belong to Jesus, and that even if you make a mistake, and even if you you slip up, that God still loves you, and he still considers you part of his family, and he still has forgiveness. The devil wants us to make, wants to make us think that, that we can't slip up at all, that immediately it's, it's shunned, that we're, we're shunned away from the presence of God. I see it in the, in the way that we react when we sin. What's your instinct when you sin? Step away from God. You stop reading your Bible. You stop listening to worship music. Why? Because it convicts you. 
You, you maybe stopped coming to church for a couple of weeks, all because you slipped up. That's the enemy trying to get you to realize that you are try, trying to implant lies into your mind that you do not belong to the family of God. But God's grace is sufficient for us. And when we understand that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, that when we stand on Christ the solid rock, now I want you to understand this. I'm not saying that you can just go and live a life of sin. If you read that passage that we, that we, that we skipped in verse 26, it, it says that if you deliberately keep on sinning, that there's no, uh, uh, there's no sacrifice for your sins anymore. So I'm not saying that you can continue to, continue to live the life that you want to live and just, yep, God saved me. No, but when you walk with Christ and you fix your feet on the solid rock, even if you waver, even if you doubt, even if you struggle, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And when you're confident in the covenant, there's nothing the enemy can say to make you doubt that. God knew when he moved into your heart, God knew that it was a bit of a fixer upper. He's not shocked by that. He's like, all the floorboards creak. Like, the, it needs a whole new remodel. It stinks. It's Mouse House 2.0. If you don't understand that reference, just go back and find uh, old sermons. God knew that you weren't perfect, but he still called you by name. Even when we were sinners, while we were still sinners, he died for us. By one sacrifice, he made us perfect forever, even while we're being made holy. Aren't you thankful for that today, church? Come on. When we are confident in our, in our covenant that we have, then we can overcome the, en the enemy's lies. The next thing that we have to become, that, or that we use, or, or that builds our confidence is our knowledge of God. I, I kind of wrote down some, some things that we should know about God if we want to build our confidence. The first thing is that he's our father. You know, up until Jesus, no one understood that God was a father. Do you know that? In all of the Old Testament, never once is God referred to as a father. The first time that God is referred to as a father is when Jesus is teaching people how to pray. And the disciples get around, they're, you know, they were raised on the Torah. They, they, they knew all the law and the prophets and they get in a circle and they were like, hey, teach us how to pray, Jesus. And he's like, all right, this is how you start. Our father in heaven. And they're like, what? Father? No, he's angry, scary God. He's creator. He's not father. And Jesus is like, no, you don't understand. The relationship between you and God is more than creator and creation. It's father and son. It's so much more intimate. I care so much, infinitely more about my relationship between me and my son than I do about me and some song I wrote. I could care less about that at the end of the day. But me and my son, I care a ton about. I would go to the end of the world for him. And that's how God views you. If you can't, if you can't realize the, that, that, God, that uh, we are to view God as a father, then you're missing out. 
And it's not just understanding that he is a father, it's understanding the type of father that he is. You know, I, I, in that, that the, the new song we've been singing for the past two weeks, Good Plans, if I know my father, then I know my father has good plans. That's the line. If I know my father, then I know my father has good plans. We have to know the type of father that he is. For one, he's a good father, and that can mean a lot of things. One means that he's, ne- he, he's never going to watch us um, just, uh, or he's never going to, he's always going to provide for us, right? Jesus says, like, man, you think that you're a good father? Our father in heaven, like, look at how he, he adorns the flowers of the field. Look at how he provides for the sparrow. Unfortunately, the sparrow's not, like, eating a huge steak every day. <laughs> seeds. Darn it. He, that's all we're going to get is seeds. No, he's a good father. He provides for us. He takes care of us. It also means that he doesn't raise spoiled brats. When I think about our prayers sometimes, I think we pray like we're Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka. (laughs) Do you guys know which one that is? Yeah. Yeah. I want to Oompa Loompa now, daddy. (laughs) Right? Oh, you feel called out right now. I know you do. I saw, I saw, I saw you kind of hide your face a little bit. I want it now, God. God's not raising spoiled brats. That means that sometimes when you whine and you complain and you cry, he's a good father. He's going to let you work through it. It means that he doesn't remove obstacles from your way, but he teaches you how to overcome them. My wife sometimes calls me a snowplow parent. She says that I I, I can be too easy on my son, that if he's going, you know, has some kind of obstacle in his way, I'll just like kind of move the obstacle out of his way so he can kind of be better. And she's like, no, we got to challenge him. And I'm like, I know. God's a way better father than me. Scripture says that when mountains are in front of us, he he makes our feet like the feet of a deer so that we can go over the mountain. He's a good father. He'll catch you when you fall. He'll pick you up when you get knocked down. When you understand the type of father that we have in heaven, you'll view your life and you'll view uh, uh, your struggles way differently. Next thing. Yes, he, this is how, exactly how I wrote it down, so I want to read it. Yes, he has a plan. No, you don't understand it. And yes, it's better than the plan you've already come up with. We got to understand that. Pastor Jason talked last week a little bit about Jeremiah twenty nine eleven about God having a plan for us. And his plan is good, Right? Yes, he has a plan. No, you won't understand it. Yes, it's better. It's a better plan than you've already come up with. When we get that, we'll have so much more confidence. (laughs) Next thing to understand about our God, he's supernaturally patient with us. 
I, 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 you know, I mentioned earlier about how the, the people in the Old Testament viewed God. There, there, there was a ton of fear. When I think about you know, when Moses uh, you know, stood at Mount Sinai and, and, and he was waiting to, to, to go up to God. And, and scripture says that the people were terrified of the mountain. That they wouldn't go near. They set barricades around it. That people were terrified of God. That's how they viewed God. And yet when Moses walks in, climbs that mountain and walks into the presence of God and he says, show me your glory. And God's like, okay, you can only handle a little bit, but but this is who I am. Check it out. Moses comes away and and what what is the, the description of God? That when the glory of God is revealed to Moses, what is the description? Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, slow to anger, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. When God wanted Moses to see who he was, he said, this is who I am. Let me show you who I am. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He has a greater tolerance for our mistakes than we realize. I remember being a kid and you know, my, my parents would come into my room and we'd, we'd say, you know, uh, we'd pray before bed every single night. And every single night from the time that I was, you know, however old, I would pray, uh, uh, God, forgive me of my sin for today. And I think when I started praying it, it was just kind of something, you know, that my, I was copying my dad or something like that. You know, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, that type of thing. Uh, but over time, I began to think that if I didn't pray that and something went wrong, if I didn't wake up the next day or I got in a car accident or something, I didn't pray it before bed, that I was going to hell. Like, I was convinced. Like, and here's little Seth Timberg, six-year-old Seth, Seth Timberg. And I'm just like, well, didn't pray. Good thing I woke up because I would have been sitting next to Satan. <laughs> and I remember uh, uh, at some point vocalizing that to my dad, that I was worried because I didn't pray that. And my dad's response to me was, was was that I didn't understand the depths of God's grace. We don't understand the depths of God's grace for us. I said it earlier. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. He doesn't. He knows that we're flawed. I think sometimes we need to offer ourselves the grace that God is already offering us. Sometimes we hold it against ourselves. We, we bury our head when we make a mistake and we think that somehow we are, are, are atoning by, by feeling shame or feeling depressed or, feeling, or, or beating ourselves up for it. Somehow we're atoning for the mistake that we made. Stop trying to take Jesus' job. He already atoned for that. He already made up for that. He already met the condition of your covenant. He forgave you for that. He forgave you for that. And he has grace for you, church. Don't take his job. Trust in his patience. Next thing, he's always good. When we understand that God's always good, it begins, we begin to, to look at the situations in our life with a, from a different perspective, from a different vantage point. We could say, man, this doesn't feel good, but I know that God's good. So what is he trying to work out? If I hang in long enough, I'll start to see 
the goodness that he has. We see scriptures, we sang that scripture today. Surely I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Surely I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. When we position our heart like that, if we know that God's good, then we know that some, at some point we're gonna see goodness shine through. I think about, uh, uh, there's a, the, uh, uh, a line in, in the Corey Asbury song, uh, Father's House, where he says, if the, sto- uh, the story isn't over if the story isn't good. I think we need to take that, that mindset. The story isn't over. If you're in the middle of a struggle and you're like, hey, this doesn't feel like God, this, I just feel like a mess. Well, if, you're, if you placed your life in God's hands, and it's not good, then goodness is coming. Amen? Amen. Next thing. We gain confidence through our experience with God. Our confidence for our current battles comes when we reflect on our previous victories. I had put this verse in there, Hannah, but I'm just going to kind of gloss over it so you don't need to throw it up there. When we think about David's confidence against Goliath, What does he say? He said, your servant killed both the lion and the bear and uh, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. He's facing an enormous giant of a battle, quite literally, giant of a battle in front of him. And where does his confidence come from? from the victory, victories that the Lord has already brought him through. When we learn to persevere through our struggles, then our expectation of victory becomes so much greater. You know, in Romans it says that, that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And that word for hope can also be translated as expectation. And I think when we look at that, Uh, what we come away with is that as we persevere through suffering, our expectations become greater that God's going to come through. As we go through hardships, as we go through, through, through struggles, those struggles, we can get, you know, rejoice. Scripture tells us to rejoice for those trials because what are they doing? They're building our confidence for the next one. They're building our, our expectation and our anticipation for how God's going to come through the next time. I've seen that happen in my own life. I don't know about you. Maybe you've seen that in, in your life. That after you've watched God come through in a miraculous way, you'll start to say to yourself, when, you've, when, you, when you're faced up against another mountain, that that mountain looks a little bit smaller. Your faith is just a little bit greater because you know that if God could get me through that, he can get me through this next thing. If, God, if he could rescue me from the paw of the lion, if he could rescue me from the paw of the bear, then surely I can defeat this giant that's in front of me. Amen. Our past experiences make it, uh, uh, increase our confidence. We have all the reason to have all of the confidence in the world. And yet the author of Hebrews here is is warning. 
He's warning these people. And keep in mind, I, I love this, this section of, of 32 through, through 35. Because what he, he's describing a people who have been through incredible things. They've suffered and persevered through suffering. And yet the author here is saying, I know you've gone through all of that. Remember how, you, how it was when you went through that. And fight the temptation to throw away the confidence that came with those past sufferings. That in the new thing that you're facing, don't throw away your confidence. There's a purpose for it. And this is what we're being commanded to do. This is what we're being commanded to do with, uh, with, our, with this confidence. And this is how, how I want to end it. Six things that we must continue to do when times get tough. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have this confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, we have to continue to enter the presence of God when times get tough. The temptation is to walk away. The temptation is to sit and, and, and just dwell in your struggle. Step out of the struggle. Step into the holy place. The only hiding place that you should have should be in God. He's the only safe place. And when you, find, when you, when you, when you discover his presence as the, the hiding place, as scripture describes it, it's a much better place to, to deal with your struggles than sitting in depression. Next thing we're to do, draw near to God with a sincere heart. Don't come to church fake. If you're struggling, don't just slap a, a smile on your face. Come and be real. Come and be sincere. If, if you're struggling with God, man, I, I, I see people make these prayers all the time. And, and sometimes they're out of faith and sometimes they're, they're out of being fake. Like, God, you're so good. And I'm like, yeah, he is. I, know, I get that he is, but you don't believe that right now. Pray to God like how you feel. If you're mad at God, be, talk to him like that. Do you ever read the, the, the Psalms where, where, where the psalmist is like, what the heck is happening? God. You guys ever see the movie Black Sheep? You know, when he rolls down the hill and he gets to the bottom. There's so many Psalms. There's like 60 of them that are basically David getting to the bottom of the hill and being like, what was that all about? <laughs> if you're struggling, pray to God like you're struggling. You think he's impressed with, with the fake smile you put on? No. The whole time that Job is struggling through his whole ordeal, God is silent. You know when God responds to Job? When God's like, hey God, this really ticked me off. And then suddenly God's like, there it is. Okay, now we can, now we can end all this. Let me restore everything to you that you lost. Double. It wasn't a good response. It was like, sure, you know, uh, it spoke out of the thunder. And it's like, where were you when I created the foundations of the earth? Like, but still, that response from God came when Job was honest. God's not, you, you can't go to God and be like, God, I'm so mad at you. You're terrible. And, and, and he, he's not going to be like, you're right. No. 
He's going to be like, surely you spoke of things that you don't understand. He'll rebuke you. But it's the most loving of rebukes. Man, don't show up to church. Don't show up to the presence of God. Don't draw near to God with an insincere heart during tough times. Be real with God and God will be real to you. Next thing, walk with a clean conscience, knowing that you've been washed clean of your sin and shame. Don't walk around still clinging to shame that God has set you free from. If you have confidence, walk like you have confidence. I just described the reasons why we ha should have confidence. The, the, the covenant, there's nothing that we could do to earn that. God that God's, has, has made us secure in the covenant. We know that God is a good father and that he loves us and he cares for us. He's patient with our mistakes and he's forgiven us. We know that, that, that if, we've, if, if he's walked us through uh, 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 overcoming struggles in the past, that he will surely meet us in the, in the future. If you know that that's who God is, if you know that that's the God you serve, if you know that he's forgiven you and washed you clean, then walk around like it. Next one. Hold unswervingly onto hope. Man, this one hits. It just hits different. Hold unswervingly. It's going to be tough, man. There's going to be times where you'll feel like you're in a game of chicken and you're like, I am definitely going to run into this thing. But God's like, I got you. Don't swerve. Don't take the easy path. Don't, don't deviate from the plan. Hold on to hope. Hold on to hope. And I'll be with you when you overcome. Don't stop spurring one another on towards good faith and good deed. I think that one's appropriate for today. I don't know how theological this is, but I love that the word that they use in the NIV is spur. Because the, like the, like the picture that that gives me is like you know, spurs on someone's boot. And like, what's the point of spurs? It's to be like a prod, right? You like kick it in the horse to be like, okay, yeah, I got to get going, right? Am I wrong in that? No, okay. Okay. And that's the description that the author tells us is that's how we're supposed to get each other to do good faith and good deeds. <laughs> it's like, don't stop prodding each other. Don't stop, you know, Angie, don't stop, you know, being like, come on, Seth, do a good deed. <laughs> the last one, don't stop meeting together. It's so tempting to isolate when you're struggling. But this place, this place, the people of God, the family of God, don't isolate yourself from them. I've watched time and time and time again someone isolate and, 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 and their life just tailspin. And then the moment that they step back into the family of God, it's amazing to see just what God can do through his people and through the love and kindness of his people. The enemy wants to tempt us to walk away from all of that. 
all of his lies, all of his, you know, you know the, 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 the way he goes about things. It's all to get us to stop doing these things. But God is saying, I've given you the confidence you need. Don't get the yips. Don't get frozen in fear. Throw the ball. And trust that I've provided you and I've covered you and I will be with you so that you can overcome every obstacle that's been placed in your way. I think that this whole thing is, is summed up in Hebrews 10, 23. All of it, don't throw away your confidence. There's a promise in here. Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. And it's all summed up in verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly onto the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Hold on. Don't let go. Don't give up. Grab hold of the confidence that God has given you, that he's awarded you. It's your inheritance. Stand up to the enemy because you know that the victory against him has already been won. Amen? Let's pray. Band, you can come forward. Father, I just thank you today. I thank you, Lord God, that no matter what situation that we are up against, your grace is sufficient for me. No matter what circumstance we are struggling with, your grace is sufficient for me. So Lord, we step out in faith today. We step out in confidence today, knowing that, that, that when we cling to hope, that when we persevere, that you will, div- that, that, and, and, uh, and we go through per- uh, struggle, that struggle produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. That if we put our hope in you, if our confidence is in you, if our confidence is, is in who you are and who you say we are, if that is our confidence, God, then we are assured. Our faith is full of assurance and we know that we will never be put to shame. So we stand in confidence. We stand in faith today. And we declare, God, we won't be frozen in fear, but we will walk in confidence. We won't throw away our confidence, but we'll continue on to do the good things that you have called for us, called us to do. The good things that you have, I have, have planned even before we were born for us to do. And I pray, Lord God, that as we leave this place, that we would leave in confidence. God, we give you all the praise and all the honor. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. River of Life is a ministry in East Missoula, Montana. We exist for one purpose, to make Jesus famous by showing his love to the lost, broken, and hurting. For more information, you can check us out online at rolmt.com. 
you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, we'd love to talk to you about what comes next. Shoot us an email at nextstep at rolnt.com. Thanks.